0: If you're enjoying this Crush Step One podcast, you can now get the content along with the content of the Med Prep to Go Step One Questions podcast ad free in one bundle. Just go to MedPrep2Go.com and find our new subscription podcast called the Med Prep to Go Step One Bundle.
1: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6 1 since that matters and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America N.A. Member FDSE. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care one of the authors of Crush Step One, the ultimate USMLE Step One review, along with my co-authors, Ryan Pedigo and Thomas Blair. I am also the chief content officer for Inside the Boards. This is the Crush Step One podcast based on the second edition of our best-selling book. The goal is to provide you high yield and high quality audio content of the book to help you study on the go and reclaim some of the time in your day.
1: Hey, this is Austin Miller, and I'm a third year medical student at Mercer University. I'll be narrating the dermatology chapter of Crush Step 1, 2nd edition. To get things started off, we're going to look at histology and physiology. The skin is divided into the dermis and the overlying epidermis. The cellular component of the dermis consists of fibroblasts, adipocytes, and macrophages. The majority of the dermis, however, is an acellular connective tissue composed primarily of type 1 collagen for strength, elastin for flexibility, and glycosaminoglycans. The dermis is mechanically responsible for cushioning the body and is also the site of the skin's adenexal structures, such as hair follicles, lymphatics, nerve fibers, and blood vessels. The superficial location of these blood vessels is primarily important in thermoregulation because vasodilation allows for increased heat loss to the environment, whereas vasoconstriction helps retain heat. The epidermis is the most superficial layer of the skin and consists primarily of keratinocytes, arranged as a stratified squamous epithelium. Melanocytes, Langerhans cells, and Merkel cells can be found in the epidermis too. The deepest epidermal layer is the stratum basale which contains keratinocyte stem cells resting on the basement membrane. These cells migrate upward to populate the stratum spinosum, where keratinization begins. Cells continue to migrate superficially as they mature. After they reach the stratum granulosum, cross-linking of keratin continues. Organelles begin to disappear, and the keratinocytes produce lamellar bodies, which are lipid containing secretions that form a hydrophobic membrane. The granular appearance of these lamellar bodies gives this layer its name. In areas with thick skin, such as the palms and soles, the next layer is called the stratum lucidum, or the clear layer. It consists of densely packed cells that appear transparent under the microscope. Lastly, cells become part of the stratum corneum, where their nuclei are completely absent and keratin has formed a watertight barrier. This can be seen in Figure 3.1. To recap, From superficial to deep, the skin layers are the corneum, lucidum, and thick skin, granulosum, spinosum, and basale. A mnemonic to remember this is, Californian ladies give superb back rubs. The skin has two major functions, thermoregulation and protection. Thermoregulation is accomplished through vasodilation or vasoconstriction of superficial arterioles. This occurs in hot conditions, when arterioles dilate and shunt blood towards the skin surface, allowing for heat loss to the environment. Eccrine glands also promote heat loss through evaporation of sweat. The barrier function of skin is not only mechanical, as in keratinization, and immunologic with Langerhans cells, but it's also chemical because ultraviolet light is converted to harmless heat using melanin. Now let's review some of the types of cells in the skin. Melanocytes are epidermal cells that produce melanin and package them within melanosome, which can be phagocytized by surrounding keratinocytes. By the process of internal conversion, melanin converts mutagenic UV radiation into harmless heat. It is also responsible for the color of an individual's skin. Those with darker skin tones, however, do not have more melanocytes. Instead, they produce melanosomes in greater number and size with greater distribution among the keratinocyte. Melanocyte activation is under neurohormonal control of the melanocyte-stimulating hormone, or MSH. MSH is a cleavage product of adrenocorticotropin hormone, or ACTH. It is not surprising, then, that the elevation of ACTH in patients with Addison disease causes them to have darker skin. Melanoma arises from a malignant proliferation of melanocytes. Of note, melanin is synthesized from the amino acid tyrosine. It is not just responsible for coloring the skin, but also the iris, the hair, and the substantia nigra of the brain. Therefore, a melanoma can arise in any of these areas. Figure 3.2 shows the synthesis of different catecholamines from tyrosine and the synthesis of melanin. Moving on, Langerhans cells are dendritic, antigen-presenting cells that populate the dermis and epidermis, and are essentially the macrophage of the skin. After they have taken up an antigen, they become active and migrate to the lymph nodes, where they interact with T and B cell. In this way, they act as a link between the innate immunity and the adaptive immunity. Of note, Langerhans cells in the mucosa of the vagina and foreskin are thought to be the initial target of human immunodeficiency virus. The next type of cell in the skin is the Merkel cell, or the sensory neuroendocrine cells found in the stratum basale of the epidermis that communicate with the large myelinated sensory interference. They are responsible for fine touch. Next, let's take a look at the adnexal structures. The first being the eccrine glands. These are sweat glands that cover the majority of the human body and participate in thermoregulation by secreting a hypotonic fluid consisting mainly of sodium chloride, which is evaporated. These glands are stimulated by the cholinergic fibers in the sympathetic nervous system. Of note, the anticholinergic medications and toxins such as atropine inhibit cholinergic stimulation of the eccrine sweat glands and produce vasodilation of peripheral vessels leaving the patient dry as a bone and red as a beet. The next glands found in the skin are the apocrine glands. These are sweat glands that are found only in the axilla, genitoanal area, and the areola. They are activated at puberty and produce a viscous, protein-rich fluid that takes on its characteristic odor when metabolized by local bacteria. These are vestigial remnants, of the mammalian sexual scent gland and serve no apparent function. The sebaceous unit is the next adenexal structure we're going to look at. This consists of a hair fiber that is composed of keratin and grows directly from the hair matrix, which can be seen in figure 3.3. The erector pili muscle is responsible for pill erection, or goosebumps, a vestigial response to the cold. The sebaceous glands also produce sebum, which oils the skin and hair, preventing them from drying. Furthermore, sebum is somewhat toxic to bacteria. Sebaceous glands are activated by hormones during puberty and are important in the pathogenesis of acne vulgaris. Now that we know about the structures of the skin and the different types of cells, let's move into describing lesions. A standard terminology has been defined to describe dermatologic findings. These can be divided into primary lesions and secondary lesions. Secondary lesions derive from the primary lesions and are caused by trauma, evolution, or other modification of the primary lesion. So to review the primary lesions, let's start with a macule, which is a flat lesion less than 0.5 centimeters. Next, we have a patch, which is a flat lesion greater than 0.5 centimeters. A papule is a raised lesion less than 0.5 centimeters. A plaque is a raised lesion greater than 0.5 centimeters. A vesicle is a fluid-filled blister that is less than 0.5 centimeters. A bulla is a fluid-filled blister that is greater than 0.5 centimeters. A pustule is a pus-filled lesion. A nodule is a firm or indurated lesion, usually located in the dermis or subcutaneous fat. It may or may not be raised. A wheel represents dermal edema leading to a raised erythematous pruritic lesion lasting less than 24 hours. Table 3.1 and Figure 3.4 Give a good summary of the primary lesions and what they look like. There are five main types of secondary lesions, starting with excoriation, which is trauma to the skin caused by scratching. It is characterized by linear breaks in the epidermis. The next is lichenification, which represents a thick, rough area with accentuated skin lines, which is usually the result of repeated trauma or scratching. A crust is a dried collection of serum, blood, pus, epithelial cells, and or bacteria. A scale is a fragment of stratum corneum, or keratin, atop or peeling from the rest of the epidermis. It is often secondary to rapid epidermal turnover. An erosion is the incomplete loss of epidermis, causing a shallow, moist, and well-circumscribed lesion. Ulceration is the complete loss of the epidermis with or without destruction of the subcutaneous tissue and fat. To recap, the main primary lesions are macule, patches, papules, plaques, vesicles, bulla, pustules, nodules, and wheels. The main secondary lesions are excoriations, lichenification, crusts, scales, erosions, and ulcerations. There are some common histological terms that are important to know. Hyperkeratosis refers to the thickening of the stratum corneum. Perkeratosis refers to thickening of the stratum corneum with the persistence of nuclei, which is normally absent in this layer. Acanthosis refers to thickening of the stratum spinosum, and acantholysis refers to the separation of keratinocytes caused by the loss of intercellular cohesion. Now that we've reviewed how to describe lesions, let's move on to pathology. The first common dermatologic condition we're going to look at is acne vulgaris. This occurs by the formation of a comodome in four steps. The first is hyperproduction of sebum within the sebaceous gland, this is followed by the formation of a plug blocking the pilosebaceous unit. Then, an inflammatory reaction occurs to Propriani bacteria acnes, which is an anaerobic bacterium and a component of the skin flora. This is followed by follicular wall rupture and spread of perifollicular inflammation. Sebum's exposure to air causes oxygenation of the sebum in an open comedone or blackhead. Persistent occlusion leads to the accumulation of sebum and a closed comiodome or a whitehead. Treatment often begins with topical retinoids and or topical antibiotics including benzoyl peroxide. Oral doxycycline or tetracycline may be used for moderate acne. Isotretinoin or accutane is reserved for nodulistic acne. Treatment for hormonal acne, which is characterized by flares related to menstrual cycles and a jawline distribution, include oral contraceptive pills and spironolactone. The next important condition we're going to take a look at is rosacea. Clinically and on step one, your job will often be to distinguish this condition from acne vulgaris. Like acne, rosacea may cause red papules and pustules on the face. However, the age group is generally an easy clue for rosacea because it is more likely to occur de novo in patients older than 30 years, whereas it is rare to see new onset acne in these patients. Figure 3.5 gives a good example of rosacea. Distinguishing features of rosacea include telangiectasias which blanch, rhinophyma, which is a bulbous erythematous nose, and a lack of comedo. A trigger is often associated with the condition. Such triggers include extreme temperatures or winds, strenuous exercise, severe sunburn, and certain foods such as alcohol, caffeinated beverages, and spicy foods. Usual treatment is with topical antibiotics such as metronidazole or oral antibiotics such as tetracyclines. In a patient older than 30 with new-onset papules and pustules with strong environmental triggers, Think rosacea before acne. The ideology of rosacea is unclear, but it's thought to be a form of pathologic interaction between the innate immune system and skin microbes. Lichen planus is the next high-yield condition we're going to look at. It occurs with inflammatory lesions of the skin and is of unknown ideology, but sometimes is associated with hepatitis C. This condition is remembered and recognized by the six Ps mnemonic. Purple, polygonal, pruritic, planar, plaques, and papules. These features can be seen in figure 3.6. Treatment usually involves high-potency topical steroids, and this condition may be associated with Wickman's striae, which are whitish lines visible in the papules, commonly seen on the oral mucosa. It may also be associated with the Cobner nerve phenomenon, which are new lesions that appear along lines of trauma, usually in a linear pattern after scratching. The next condition we're going to touch on is pityriasis rosea. This is thought to be secondary to a virus and is a dermatologic condition that may begin with a virus like prodrome and a herald patch, which is a raised oval pink patch with a central clearing. The herald patch can be seen in figure 3.7. It appears on the trunk and may be confused with tinea corporis. The herald patch is followed 7-14 to days later by multiple lesions, similar in appearance but smaller. They form on the back and follow the skin cleavage lines in a Christmas tree pattern. No treatment is necessary because this condition is usually self-limiting. The characteristic morphologic pattern described earlier and the lack of scale found on the lesions can distinguish pityriasis rosia from tinea corporis. Moving on, a keloid is a firm, shiny nodule of scar tissue that is composed of type 1 collagen as a result of granulation tissue overgrowing the boundaries of a wound. Keloids overgrow the boundaries of the initial injury unlike hypertrophic scars, which are raised scars that respect the wound margins. Keloids are common in African-American individuals. They classically arise over scars, but can also develop at sites of piercings and tattoos. The next important condition is contact dermatitis, which represents a delayed or type 4 hypersensitivity reaction in which contact with an antigen recruits previously sensitized T-cells to initiate local inflammation. The sensitization can occur at any time after the initial exposure, even years later. Lesions are well-circumscribed erythematous plaques that may have vesicles or bulla over the area of exposure. This can be seen in Figure 3.8. Common allergens include poison ivy, rubber, and nickel. Nickel can be found in jewelry and buttons, and the distribution of the rash matches the area of contact. Treatment involves avoidance of the culprit allergen and topical steroids applied to any affected area. Systemic steroids may be needed in severe cases. After an exposure, contact dermatitis often takes days to develop. Instead, consider a type 1 IgE-mediated reaction if the development of a rash with hives immediately follows an exposure The next important condition we're going to look at is atopic dermatitis or eczema. This is known as the itch that rashes because symptoms begin as itching that erupts into an erythematous scaling lesion, which can be seen in figure 3.9. Vesicles may be present early and lichenification occurs if the area is aggressively scratched. In adults, the distribution is in the flexural areas such as the antecubital and popliteal fossa, and on the hand. The face and the body may be affected in children. The etiology involves an overlap among genetics, environment, and the immune system. The terms atopic march and atopic triad describe the other hypersensitivity comorbidities that patients later develop, which is eczema, then asthma, then allergic rhinitis. Treatment of eczema involves protecting the skin from excessive drying, avoiding irritants, and applying topical steroids and moisturizers. Urticaria, or hives, are pruritic wheels caused by mast cell degranulation spilling histamine and other inflammatory mediators into the surrounding tissue. Acute urticaria is less than six weeks and is often secondary to an environmental allergy, whereas chronic urticaria is thought to be an autoimmune condition. Initial treatment is with second-generation H1 antagonists, or antihistamine. The lesion will be described as raised, erythematous, and intensely pruritic. The next condition we're looking at is psoriasis. This disorder is caused by an interaction between the environment and genetics, such as HLA-B27. It causes a local inflammatory reaction and hastens the growth cycle of the epidermis, leading to a thickened skin from the keratinocyte accumulation in the stratum corneum at affected sites. Histologic examination reveals hyperkeratosis and parakeratosis. Clinically, psoriasis presents as red papules with silvery scales that coalesce into well-defined plaques, often on extensor surfaces like the elbows and knees. These plaques can be seen in Figure 3.10. Lesions may develop on the sites of previous trauma, which represents the Koebner phenomenon. Removal of the scale will reveal pinpoint bleeding, or Auschwitz sign. Psoriasis can also affect nail beds, causing pitting, and joints causing psoriatic arthritis. Treatment of skin lesions involves topical steroids. Systemic steroids should be avoided because the initial improvement is often followed by a rebound phenomenon upon tapering. Severe psoriasis may necessitate stronger agents such as methotrexate or tumor necrosis factor alpha inhibitors, including interocept and infliximat. The rash of psoriasis is usually improved with sunlight exposure and light therapy. The final common condition we're going to look at is Langerhans cell histiocytosis, or histiocytosis X. It begins with an abnormal proliferation of histiocytes. On the skin, this condition presents as red papules on the scalp or trunk that may display crusting or scaling. Painful osteolytic bone lesions of the skull are also characteristic. Lung nodules may also occur accompanied by a cough. Skin biopsy will reveal Langerhans cells, which are very large, about four times larger than a lymphocyte. Although this is a confusing disease that may affect many organ systems, on step one, the key diagnostic feature is often the presence of beerbeck granules on electron microscopy. These are tennis racket shaped organelles within the cell and can be seen in figure 3.11. Moving on. Let's look at some autoimmune diseases with manifestations on the skin. The first is Pemphigus vulgaris, which is a severe autoimmune bolus condition caused by IgG antibodies within the epidermis that attack desmosomes and lead to a loss of adhesion between keratinocytes causing acantholysis. This clinical result is the formation of painful, superficial, flaccid, intraepidermal bullae. These bullae expand on gentle stroking of the normal appearing adjacent skin, known as Nikloski sign, and may rupture, leading to painful erosions, which can be seen in Figure 3.12. Unlike with bullous pemphigoid, there is often mucous membrane involvement, and on step one, oral involvement of the disease is the most common clue that this represents pemphigus vulgaris and not bullous pemphigoid. Immunofluorescence reveals IgG deposits between keratinocytes. Treatment includes the use of systemic retinoids and supportive measures to maintain homeostasis. These patients are often treated like burn patients. The next condition, bullous pemphigoid, is a less severe autoimmune condition in which antibodies attack hemidesmosomes. Hemidesmosomes connect the epidermal basal cells to the basement membrane. Binding of complement leads to the destruction of the basement membrane, separation of the dermoepidermal junction, and the formation of subepidermal blisters. Clinically, this creates the appearance of tense bulla, and subsequent erosions at the site of the rupture bulla, which can be seen in Figure 3.13. Bullous pemphigoid typically presents in older adults, greater than 60 years old, and unlike with pemphigus vulgaris mucous membranes are rarely involved, and the Klosky sign is negative. The ideology of this condition is unknown, although it may be triggered by initiation of culprit medication. Bullous pemphigoid is relatively mild compared with other bullous diseases, and often responds to topical steroids alone. A helpful mnemonic is that antibodies in bullous pemphigoid line up below. The basement membrane in bullous pemphigoid is below pemphigus vulgaris in severity. Next, let's touch on some conditions of pigmentation. Vitiligo is an autoimmune condition in which antibodies target melanocytes within the epidermis. The subsequent absence of melanin leads to a depigmentation in flat, well-circumscribed macules or patches. This condition may occur in any race but is more noticeable in dark-skinned individuals. Depigmentation areas fluoresce under a wood's lamp which has ultraviolet light and can detect depigmentation in light-skinned individuals. Vitiligo should not be confused with tinea versicolor, which causes hypopigmentation, not depigmentation. The key feature of vitiligo is the absence of melanocytes. Albinism is an autosomal recessive condition that involves the inability to convert tyrosine into melanin, usually because of an inherited mutation in or a deficiency of the tyrosinase enzyme. Patients have pale skin, white hair, and blue eyes. The risk for skin cancer is extremely high in these individuals. The key features of albinism include decreased melanin. A solar lentigo or lentigo is a hyperpigmented patch seen in sun-exposed areas such as the face, chest, and arms, often seen in older patients who have had years of UV light exposure. They are also known as lentigo senilis or old-age spots. Although these lesions are benign, They can develop into a type of melanoma known as lentigo maligna. The key features of solar lentigo are increased melanocytes. Melasma is a condition that occurs when estrogen and progesterone stimulate melanocytes during pregnancy or oral contraceptive use to increase production of melanin. Hyperproduction of melanin causes formation of hyperpigmented macules and patches on sun-exposed areas. Also known as the mask of pregnancy, this condition is only of cosmetic concern. Although it is much more commonly seen in women, men can also develop melasma. Treatment is either with makeup to darken the surrounding area, or a topical hydroquinone to lighten the affected areas. The key features of melasma are increased melanin. A melanocytic nevus, or the common mole, is a benign neoplasm of melanocytes that needs no intervention. There are several different types including junctional, intradermal, and compound nevi. These terms simply refer to their location in the skin. Junctional nevi are found at the junction between the epidermis and the dermis. Intradermal nevi are exclusively within the dermis and compound nevi extend through both the dermal-epidermal junction and the dermis. The key feature of the common mole is increased melanocytes. In ephelis, or the common freckle, contains normal numbers of melanocytes but increased concentrations of melanin. The key feature of the common freckle is increased melanin. Of clinical importance, freckles have similar histology to the cafe a lait spots of neofibromatosis type 1. Let's take a closer look at neoplasms, dysplasias, and malignancies. Basal cell carcinoma is the most common human malignancy. As its name implies, basal cell carcinomas develop in the stratum basale, often as a result of UV-induced DNA damage. Patients present with lesions on sun-exposed areas that are characteristically pearly nodules with rolled edges. This can be seen in figure 3.14. Central ulceration and overlying telangiectasias may also be present. Diagnosis can be confirmed with biopsy, which reveals nests of basal cells demonstrating peripheral palisading. Basal cell carcinomas are treated with excision. The prognosis is extremely good because the risk of metastasis is vanishingly small. They are locally invasive, however. Actinic keratosis, or AKs, are precancerous dysplastic lesions characterized by excessive keratin buildup forming crusty, scaly, rough papules and plaques. They tend to occur in sun-exposed areas such as the face and the scalp it may progress to squamous cell carcinoma. Diagnosis is based on physical examination, although lesions suspicious for squamous cell carcinoma should be biopsied. AKs are usually treated with cryotherapy or topical 5-fluorouracil. Squamous cell carcinoma presents in patients with scaling plaques in sun-exposed areas such as those seen in figure 3.15. Histologic examination reveals keratin pearls. Lesions are locally invasive and are more likely to metastasize than basal cell carcinomas. Risk factors include sun exposure, immunosuppression, arsenic exposure, and chronic draining sinus tracts. Squamous cell carcinomas also have a tendency to grow on areas of scarring, an aggressive Ulcerative squamous cell carcinoma that grows in an area of previous scarring or trauma is called a marjulian ulcer. Erythroplasia of curat is a specific term for squamous cell carcinoma in situ on the gland's penis, usually secondary to infection with high-risk human papilloma stereotypes 16 and 18. This subtype of squamous cell carcinoma tends to present as a velvety smooth red plaque. Keratoacanthoma is controversially considered a subtype of squamous cell carcinoma. This lesion is rapidly growing and forms a dome with a central keratin plug, as seen in Figure 3.16. The lesion often grows so large and so quickly that it outstrips its blood supply, necrosis, and resolves with some scarring. A melanoma is a malignant tumor of melanocytes recognized clinically by the ABCDEs. They stand for, respectively, asymmetry, borders that are irregular, color variance, diameter greater than 6 millimeters, and evolution, representing a change in color, growth, or a lesion becoming more paritic. Melanomas are most likely to metastasize if they enter a vertical phase of growth. Therefore, depth of invasion is correlated with mortality. Their precursor lesion is the dysplastic nevus, which may display some of the previously listed features and should be biopsied. This cancer has a positive S100 tumor marker, which is consistent with melanocytes being derived from neural crest cells. Although most melanomas are darkly pigmented, keep in mind that they can also lack this characteristic color and appear similar to some patients' skin tones. These are known as amelanocytic melanomas. There are several types of melanoma, starting with the superficial spreading melanoma, which is the most common type. It undergoes radial or lateral growth for entering a vertical phase of growth, so prognosis is good. Lentigo maligna melanoma develops from benign lentigos as we talked about earlier in sun-exposed areas. Acral lentiginous melanoma commonly occurs on the palms and the soles although this can occur under the nail or subungually. This type of melanoma is more common in dark pigmented individuals and is the least commonly observed type of melanoma. As a trivial fact for those of you who don't know, this is the type of melanoma that Bob Marley was diagnosed with and eventually led to his death. The final type of melanoma we're going to discuss is the nodular melanoma. This type enters a vertical phase of growth early on in its development and has a poor prognosis. The next condition we're going to talk about is the seborrheic keratosis, or an SK. Classically, it has a warty, stuck-on appearance and is formed by a benign proliferation of keratinocytes. SKs are tan to brown plaques and patches found on any part of the body. That means there is no correlation to sun exposure. They are very common in older individuals, and patients tend to acquire more as they age. The development of SKs is believed to be an inherited trait. Plugs of keratin are visualized on histologic examination, although these lesions need not be biopsied. Of note, the sign of lesler trelat refers to a perineoplastic phenomenon with an eruptive presentation of multiple SKs indicating an underlying malignancy, especially gastric adenocarcinoma. Moving on from neoplastic lesions, let's look at some vascular lesions, starting with cherry hemangiomas. These are benign proliferations of capillaries that form a small red macule. They are more common with age and require no treatment. However, they will not involute on their own. A cherry hemangioma can be seen in figure 3.17. Strawberry hemangiomas are benign vascular tumors that appear in the neonatal period and slowly involute on their own during childhood. No treatment is required unless it ulcerates or is near a vital structure like the eye, in which case the child is treated with a beta blocker. This can be seen in Figure 3.18. A mnemonic to remember these types of hemangiomas is to instead of thinking strawberry, think straw baby hemangioma to remember that it occurs in childhood. A nevis flammus is a vascular malformation consisting of dermal capillaries and postcapillary venules, also known as a port wine stain. They consist of blanchable pink, red, or purple patches that are present at birth and do not regress but usually grow with the child. Port wine stains are common on the face and usually do not cross the midline. They can also be seen as part of Sturge-Weber syndrome. A pyogenic granuloma is a benign erythematous papule that grows quickly and bleeds easily with a distinctive colorette of scale. Pyogenic granulomas usually arise in the young adults at sites of prior traumas, but can also develop in children and during pregnancy. They do not usually spontaneously regress. The last vascular lesion we are going to talk about is the angiosarcoma. This is a malignant proliferation of blood vessels or lymphatics that classically arises in the breast, scalp, or face after prior radiation exposure. They are blue to purple macules, papules, or nodules that bleed or ulcerate. Treatment is with complete resection and adjuvant radiotherapy if radiation is not believed to be a causative factor. So to recap, For the section over neoplasias, dysplasias, and malignancies, it is important to remember the conditions basal cell carcinoma, AKs, squamous cell carcinomas, keratoacanthomas, melanomas, and all the different types, seboric keratoses, cherry hemangiomas, strawberry hemangiomas, nevus flamus, pyogenic granuloma, and angiosarcoma. Next, we're going to discuss skin infections and infestations, starting with cellulitis, which is an infection of the deep dermal and subcutaneous tissue often caused by Staph or Streptococcus pyogenes. Infection is often from direct penetration of bacteria into the skin. Cellulitis presents as a streaky, painful, warm erythematous and edematous lesion. It can occur with or without fever. Because the infection is deep, the margins of the infection are typically not well defined. This feature separates it from conditions like erysipelas, which is a more superficial infection that has better defined borders. Treatment of cellulitis is with antibiotics. Distinguish cellulitis from chronic venous stasis by the bilateral nature of the venous stasis changes. As previously mentioned, erysipelas is similar to cellulitis, although the infection is of the superficial dermis and lymphatics as opposed to the deeper involvement of cellulitis. Erysipelas is more common in children and those with impaired lymphatic drainage. S. pyogenes is the most common pathogen. The lesion is well circumscribed with raised borders, as seen in figure 3.19a. Impetigo is caused by stapharis, or less commonly strep pyogenes. It usually begins as vesicles and pustules that later rupture, producing the characteristic honey colored crust, which can be seen in figure three point nineteen B. Bullus impetigo is similar, but the initial lesions are flaccid bulla filled with transparent yellow fluid. Of note, if the causative organism is S. pyogenes, Post-streptococcal glomerulonephritis is a potential complication, but not acute rheumatic fever, which only appears after S. pyogenes pharyngitis. Post-streptococcal glomerulonephritis cannot be prevented with antibiotics, so treatment only affects the skin condition and does not prevent the complication. The next common skin infection is staphylococcal scalded skin syndrome. This is a severe and generalized form of bolus impetigo. Staph skin infection produces an exfoliative exotoxin, which is a protease that acts on desmoglein at the stratum granulosum to produce tense intraepidermal bullae, followed by flaky, non-scarring discrimination over the entire body. This condition occurs predominantly in neonates and is often accompanied by fever. Note that desmoglein of desmosomes is the target in both staphylococcal-scalded skin syndrome and empyphagous vulgaris. One of the most severe skin infections is necrotizing fasciitis. This is the flesh-eating condition caused by a rapidly progressive infection of subcutaneous tissues including fat and fascia that spreads along the fascial planes. The cause may be either polymicrobial or monomicrobial with s. pyogenes being the most likely single organism necrotizing fasciitis often spreads from a site of local trauma or surgery clinically it is similar to cellulitis but is characterized by extreme pain fever induration or hardening of the skin and skip lesions which are non-continuous islands of infected tissue with sparing or intervening tissue sepsis is common Treatment involves IV antibiotics and surgical debridement. Gas gangrene is a similar condition caused by an infection of Clostridium perfringens. In this infection, crepitus or crackling sensation on palpation may also result from CH4 and CO2 production by the pathogen. Next, we're going to talk about the dermatophytes. These are superficial fungal infections of the skin or nails in which the fungus survives by metabolizing keratin. These infections are caused by epidermophyton, microsporum, or trichophyton species. Infections are named for their location on the body. For example, tinea capitis is on the head, tinea pettis is on the feet, tinea corporis is on the body, and tinea curis is on the groin. Tinea corporis presents as a raised erythematous oval ringworm. There is a characteristic trailing scale that describes scale in the center of the lesion, but not on the border. This feature can be used to distinguish Tinea corporis from the herald patch of peteriasis rosea. KOH prep on microscopy can be confirmatory by demonstrating the presence of hyphae. Tinea pedis can present with a scale along the sides of the feet, in a moccasin pattern and can involve the nails, and this is known as oncomycosis. Look for cracking between the toes, which can serve as a point of entry for bacteria and result in superimposed cellulitis. Treatment is with topical antifungals, except oncomycosis, which requires systemic antifungals because of poor absorption of the topicals through nails. Topical steroids should be avoided because they can exacerbate the infection. Next, tinea versicolor is a superficial fungal infection caused by malassezia globosa or furfur that causes hypopigmented or hyperpigmented macules and patches with possible associated scaling, which can be seen in figure 3.28. Lesions occur on the trunk and arms. Patients will note that it seems to get worse in the summer which is usually because of the sun-induced hyperpigmentation of the surrounding normal skin, making the hypopigmented tinea versicolor lesions look even lighter. KOH prep reveals a spaghetti and meatballs appearance of the hyphae and yeast, respectively. This can be seen in figure 3.20b. Another high-yield condition that should be considered is scabies, which involves the superficial infection with the scabies parasite This parasite burrows into the skin to live and reproduce. The mite is spread through person-to-person contact. The most profound feature of scabies is the severe itching caused by the delayed type 4 hypersensitivity reaction to the mites, their eggs, and their feces. The rash usually consists of erythematous papules and secondary excoriations. However, the burrow is a giveaway and it appears as a thin raised line along the skin, as seen in figure 3.21b. Crusted scabies, formerly known as Norwegian scabies, is a severe manifestation that is associated with immunosuppression. Mineral oil prep may be confirmatory by direct visualization of the mites or the eggs. Topical permethrin is the initial treatment of choice, and systemic ivermectin is used in severe or refractory cases. Next, oral hair leukoplakia is a white, hairy plaque found on the side of the tongue caused by the opportunistic infection of the Epstein-Barr virus. The presence of leukoplakia should be concerning for HIV. This lesion can be distinguished from thrush or oral candidiasis because leukoplakia cannot be scraped off easily. tends to occur on the sides of the tongue. Oral candidiasis can occur in both immunocompetent and immunocompromised individuals. Esophageal candidiasis, on the other hand, is highly concerning for immunosuppression and is considered an AIDS-defining illness. Leukoplakia It's also defined without specifiers as a white patch on the tongue or oral mucosa secondary to squamous hyperplasia. Like oral hairy leukoplakia, this lesion will not scrape off. It is considered precancerous because some cases may progress to squamous cell carcinoma. It is highly associated with tobacco use, especially in smokeless tobacco. Treatment is with cessation of any carcinogenic habits, or surgical removal. To finish up the infection subtopic, we are going to briefly touch on warts. Warts are caused by the viral infection with human papillomavirus, causing acanthosis and hyperkeratosis. As in cervical infections with HPV, cells with enlarged irregular nuclei, or coleocytes, are present. Treatment is with cryotherapy. There are three subtypes of warts that we're going to talk about, the first being verruca vulgaris. This is the common wart often found on the hand. It presents as a raised and rough papule. Verruca plantaris is a smooth, flat wart often found on the sole of the foot. Pinpoint bleeding is often present. Condyloma acuminata is a genital wart caused by HPV subtypes 6 and 11 these are the low risk strains the next topic we're going to talk about is the dermatologic manifestations of internal diseases beginning with erythema nodosum this is an inflammatory condition of subcutaneous fat or panniculitis resulting in tender erythematous nodules often over the shins this can be seen in figure 3.22 erythema nodosum is associated especially with streptococcal infections, drugs, sarcoidosis, tuberculosis, inflammatory bowel disease, and fungal infection. Erythema multiforme consists of multiple target-shaped lesions with multiform primary lesions, such as macules, papules, and vesicles. This can be seen in Figure 3.23. Commonly, a hypersensitivity reaction to drugs, usually antibiotics, leading to an IgM deposition in the skin, but erythema multiforme may also be secondary to malignancies or infections such as herpes simplex virus or mycoplasma. Steven Johnson syndrome is basically erythema multiforme, but with more extensive and systemic symptoms, including mucous membrane involvement, fevers... Diffuse erosion and crusting. Lesions must cover less than 10% of the body surface area. It is associated with a high mortality rate. Toxic epidermal necrolysis is a more severe form of Stevens Johnson syndrome in which lesions cover more than 30% of the body surface area. These conditions overlap when 10% to 30% of the body surface area is involved. Erythema. Marginatum is a non-peritic erythematous transient ring lesions of the trunk. This rash is one of the major criteria for rheumatic fever. Erythema chronicum migrans is also known as the expanding bullseye-shaped erythematous plaque at the site of the Ixodes tick bite and is characteristic of the early localized Lyme disease, which can be seen in figure 3.24. It is caused by localized infection with Borrelia burgdorferi. Multiple lesions indicate the spirochete has spread hematogenously. Treatment is with doxycycline in teenagers and adults. Ceftriaxone is preferred for children younger than age 8. Dermatitis herpetiformis consists of itchy vesicles and papules on an erythematous base especially over the extensor surfaces, like the elbows and knees. It is caused by dermal IgA deposits in association with celiac disease. This condition is responsive to a gluten-free diet. Figure 3.25 gives a good representation of the types of lesions seen in this condition. Acanthosis nigricans is a velvety hyperpigmentation of skin overlying body folds associated with elevated insulin levels, which alter dermatologic growth factors. This can be seen in Figure 3.26. Elevated insulin is most commonly a result of insulin resistance in type 2 diabetes. Other endocrine disorders, such as polycystic ovarian syndrome, may also be causative. The final dermatologic manifestation of an internal disease that we are going to talk about is stasis dermatitis. This is a brawny discoloration of dependent areas, such as the feet and ankles, caused by hemocytorin deposits from extravation of erythrocytes as a result of venous hypertension. An example of this can be seen in figure 3.27. Petal edema is often present. The venous hypertension may simply be due to venous valve dysfunction, but heart failure producing peripheral edema may also be the underlying cause. Now, we will move on to the final part of the chapter and review some high-yield pharmacology. Retinoids are vitamin A related compounds that act as steroid hormones to alter gene transcription. These compounds bind nuclear retinoic acid receptors which then activate promoter regions of the DNA, leading to transcription of retinoid-sensitive genes. In the treatment of acne, the result is a decrease in size and sebum output of sebaceous gland. Topical retinoids are often used for the initial management of acne. Systemic isotretinoin, however, is reserved for nodulistic acne as a result of its severe side effect profile, including hepatotoxicity, and teratogenicity which causes embryologic and fetal malformations permethrin is an antiparasitic agent used in the treatment of scabies and head lice such as pediculosis capitis in arthropods permethrin acts as a neurotoxin by prolonging sodium channel activation thereby causing paralysis and death it is poorly absorbed and is easily inactivated in humans. Next, let's review a few topical antifungals. The azoles are a group of medications that inhibit an enzyme called 14-alpha-demethylase, which is responsible for the formation of ergosterol, which is a component of the fungal membrane. Common agents for the treatment of dermatophytes and tinea versicolor include clotrimazole or lotrimin meconazole, and ketoconazole. Terbinafine or Lamisil inhibits a different enzyme, which is squalene epoxidase, responsible for the formation of ergosterol. Topically, terbinafine is a first-line agent for dermatophytes. It can be used orally in the treatment of oncomycosis, which is a fungal nail infection. Topical steroids are also commonly used in dermatologic conditions as they inhibit local inflammatory reactions by interfering with the production of inflammatory cytokines by phospholipase A2. They are used in the treatment of lichen planus, atopic dermatitis, contact dermatitis, psoriasis, pemphigus vulgaris, and bullous pemphigoid. Common topical steroids include hydrocortisone, Triampsinolone and Clobetazole. The final high yield drug we will talk about is 5 fluorouracil or 5FU. It can be used both as a topical and systemic chemotherapeutic agent. 5FU is a thymine analog that irreversibly inhibits thymidylate synthase, thus preventing DNA synthesis. Used topically, it is one of the first line therapies for. Actinic keratosis, 5-FU causes a local inflammatory response on the skin that may require an eruption of treatment. Intravenously, it is used in the treatment of solid malignancies such as breast and colon cancer. With that, we conclude the dermatology chapter in Crush Step 1. Thank you for listening.
0: With that, we wrap up today's episode of the Crush Step One podcast. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, the publishing company behind Crush Step One, as well as all of my other books, for allowing us to put out this book in podcast format. Thank you for joining us, and please check out our other chapters.